This is the Refugees Plus Host Communities News Podcast from north of Uganda. I'm Jacqueline Adure and this is beginning of 2021. These are our main stories. After their food aid was cut, nearly two half refugees in Uganda are grappling with containing the news of further cuts of their food assistance. In our episode of Refugees Beating the Odds, we bring 58-year-old Luburi Alex William, who has so far planted 3,000 hardwood teak trees for sale in the near future. Also in this podcast... Well, uh, why I came up with this song, Coronavirus, um, it is to alert my people and also make them aware on this pandemic. Now, have you ever, even for once, thought that music could be your only solace and perhaps the best mode of communication? After successfully escaping South Sudan brutal war, which was characterized by mass killings, over 41,000 children, majority of who are below 15 years old, crossed into neighboring Uganda for safety. Such figures make Uganda host of the largest number of unaccompanied child refugees in the world, according to the United Nations High Commission for Refugees, UNHCR. But you know how such children cope? Amid seemingly never-ending struggles they face every day, Atim Pamela investigates. Take a listen. I am interested in a primary three pupil, Jocelyn Duma. She's about nine years old. So I left Arua town for about 40 kilometers journey to meet her and her foster family. I took a motorcycle ride, also known as Boda Boda, common means of transport in the area. On arrival, I see Jocelyn playing with the rest of the other children. A total of 11 kids are playing. This family is headed by 35-year-old Jenty Mande. Six of these children arrived here unaccompanied. When you see them playing, they all look happy until you sit them down. Everyone has a heartbreaking story to tell you. But I'm interested in Jocelyn's. coming to Uganda in my auntie. My parents in South Sudan. The parents talk to me, but let me come to Uganda here. Let us wait there. I will not see that parents, but know if they are good or if they are not good. I'm missing the parents. The parents bite me or clothes or what. When children arrive at reception centers, before they are taken to their respective settlements, NGOs seek out volunteers to foster them. Usually such foster families are from the same tribes who speak their language and share their customs. <laughs> Genty Mande is a mother of five of her own. She was chosen using such criteria. She takes care of Jocelyn and five other unaccompanied children in her home of two small huts made of mud and grass. All in all, she takes care of these 11 children. Unaccompanied refugee children like Jocelyn are faced with emotions that foster families can hardly be able to deal with. And this is one of the hardest things foster parents have had to deal with. A 30-year-old Ate Besta narrates her experience of dealing with children such as Jocelyn who arrived in Uganda unaccompanied. They started growing annoying like if like the ladies, if they want something, you do not give them. You find that this lady will start growing annoyed. 
thinking that if my parents are here, they would have helped me because you're not my mother, that's why you're not helping me. These challenges are there, but I'm telling you that I don't have anything that I can give you. The little that I have, we share with you. But now, something which I'm not able to buy, now I cannot also force myself to go and look for it. Where will I get it? So I also end up advising them to accept what I've given them, even if little, that is enough. According to the immigration law, unaccompanied minors, also known as separated children, are generally defined as foreign nationals or stateless persons. In Rhino Camp Refugee Settlement, South Sudanese child refugees stay with people of goodwill. On few occasions, they get united with their family members, according to the refugee desk officer Solomon Osakan. Basically, unaccompanied minors, when they are entering the country, they are identified from the border points and then in the settlements. Then we have those partners handling child protection. They identify families that can foster them or can help groom them to grow up as a useful citizens. And therefore, they are united with those families. And when the food is given, because food is given per, per refugee, that family picks the food and helps prepare meals for, for that child and also guides that child in life. On most occasions, they, they are united with the elderly people. Statistics of 2018 show there are more than 41,000 unaccompanied minors in Uganda. Majority of them are less than 15 years old, and nearly 3,000 children are younger than five years, according to the findings, majority of whom stay with foster parents. After their food aid was cut nearly to half, refugees in Uganda are grappling with containing the news of further cuts of their food assistance. Many have been sent into panic. However, others have treated such news as a wake-up call. And for many of them, this rather sad news might just catapult them into a brighter future they might have desired. Juruga Samuel is a refugee in BDBD and filed this report. Groups such as Night Roses are increasing in number. Her group is made up of 30 members, 15 individuals from host community and 15 others are refugees. The noise you are hearing in the background is the sound of water pumps supplying river water to the sprinklers spread all over their farm of majorly vegetables. And everyone here is busy at least doing something. Looking at their bright faces, you can see members doing their duties with love and optimism. Their vegetables are flourishing, they claim, and they expect good harvest in the coming weeks. Middle-aged Rose leaves her family to come and work on this one-acre farm with the rest of her colleagues every day. She is head of her family of six. She boasts that, come what may, the future of her family is secured. She is no longer thinking of survival strategies, but development rather. By then we are having a half acre. When they reduce the food, we are having a full acre. Now they keep on reducing more like to six kilos. We are looking forward at least to have two acres or to have one and a, at least one and a half acre. She says people, especially refugees like her, need to be innovative and creative if they are going to survive the next food cut. Sharing her experiences... Rose emphasizes the need for refugees to work with the hosts who usually own the land if they are going to succeed. With the recent announcement of possible reduction of food aid, formation of groups is spreading to all the other refugee settlements also. The aim is to counteract insufficient food, they predict. Three years later, 
Upon the arrival of 1.2 million refugees from South Sudan, authorities cut amount of food from 12 kilos of grain to 8. From such experience, refugees have taken the news serious. Out of 10 people, 9 complain of insufficient food. They claim the current monthly ratio of 8 kilos of grain can hardly take them through two weeks, leaving them with hardly any food for the rest of the month. Refugees cannot comprehend the fact that further food cuts shall happen in shortly. Yango Robert has been trying to form a group. He and his group members feel time is not their best ally. But on behalf of the entire group, Robert wishes to make one plea. I'm anticipating a lot of challenges to come. So I think there's going to be reduction in the, in the quota ratios and a lot of things. So as an independent group, as a group that is not supported by any other partner, I'm urging any livelihood partner that is ready and available to support us. We really need that support. Or even if there's any individual who feels like giving us the support, we are ready, please, as a youth agency on livelihood activities in BDBD. Just like Rose, Robert and the majority of refugees in this camp arrived in neighboring Uganda in 2016. During South Sudan deadly conflict, they left everything behind. The situation of possible further reduction of rations as well as hardships they face every day is forcing them to start livelihood activities. Agamilton represents refugees of BDBD Zone 2. He sits on a food management committee, an office dealing with distributing food locally to his fellow refugees in his zone. He believes the population has come face to face with bleak future and that he does not see a way out. Rumors has been going all over the, the settlement right now as I'm talking. Um, we, we received a message that uh, food is going to be cut and probably uh, we are going to receive the, like six kgs like before we used to get eight. So that's really a, a sad news for us, the refugees in the settlement. And then uh, the other thing, we are not sure if really if, uh, we are going to have source next year because since this year, uh, this, this cycle, we received the um, sorghum and the rice, but we are not really sure of having source next year. For majority of refugees, essential items such as food aid supplied by the humanitarian agencies is their lifeline. Majority of refugees in BDBD are expected to be hit hard by further reduction of ratios in the coming months. And humanitarian agencies are well aware. The World Food Program, for example, started encouraging youth groups, majorly comprised of both refugees and their hosts, to work in unison. And many refugee youth have joined forces with their counterparts in the host communities to start growing crops such as vegetables, cassava, and maize, among others. Others still are involved in animal husbandry, small village savings, from which they envision getting capital for their startups in the near future. UN World Food Program WFP distributes food assistance periodically to refugees in Uganda. The UN agency usually provides starchy plus protein foods, but the most recent round of distribution did not include protein foods, sending refugees living in Africa's largest refugee camp BDBD into chaos. Officials are urging for patience. Mary Monday is a refugee herself. Also, her parents who are in their 70s are part of the statistics making up BDBD camp with over 230,000 individuals 
who fled South Sudan recent war. Up to date, Mary is following the developments in Bidibidi, but first she sent us this report. For weeks now, the situation in some parts of Bidibidi camp has been chaotic. Refugees here are complaining what they claim is unfair treatment and infringement on their human rights. Moses Wenga is chairperson of Refugee Welfare Council for Zone 3 of the camp and he blames UN agencies as well as others that are involved in refugee activities for alternating refugee leaders just like him as far as decision making is concerned. He wants the UN HRA to refrain from coming to conclusions in the comfort of their offices that are usually located in cities. But they took their decision somewhere in Kampala and Nairobi without even consulting the leaders. So people are struggling to eat, to sell the little. But currently, if you go to the market, they found the market is a small mark of bean is almost 1,500. Wenga says under the current market prices, the costs are just too high for majority of his fellow refugees to afford even the smallest measure of beans they desperately need. He goes ahead to say that higher authority referring to UNHRA should respond to the crisis immediately. Masuk Mares is worried. He says he does not know how he is going to ensure a good diet for his eight children. Just like many others, Morris is stuck between a rock and a hard ground. I spoke to him by phone. The food distributed, it was without sauce, but dry has been provided. It has now turned around that we change daisy daisy food for, for sauce. In many times, food got finished before time now. As it is a ratio for two months, and then it got finished before two months. Because we do combat this food now for... Rice and grains plus beans make up the biggest part of refugees' diet, but without beans, refugees such as Morris and their families shall only have to survive on stars foods only. One other refugee who wished to be identified only by her first name, Jacqueline, is wondering how her family of six will be faring for the next eight weeks. She can barely see a way out of such worrying situation. We need to cook the rice with the beans. There's no sauce. We are just selling the food for buying the sauce, whereby the food cannot be enough for us. The other cycle, if they give us sauce, it is good because to get sauce here, it is very difficult for us. But the authorities say they are handicapped and that they cannot do much. According to the office of OPM, early today, I spoke to the refugee desk officer, Solomon Osakan, and I asked him what the problem is. The problem is that uh, the, the beans where WFP has been getting are finished. Eh? So they give that additional sorghum to sell. Actually, they have been giving rice. Then you can, after selling it, you can buy beans from the local market or green vegetables. That is what was being done. The OPM or Office of the Prime Minister is a fully fledged government department in charge of overseeing all agencies that implement activities in refugee camps. OPM oversees UN agencies too. As a refugee, do you know your rights? Hmm, you may or you may not. Clear your doubts by listening to Osba Plus as we get expert conversations 
and interviews as they break down refugee rights and responsibility. It is important to know your human rights. The same applies to refugees and asylum seekers too. However, in practice, few refugees and asylum seekers are aware of their rights. Today, though, we bring in immigration experts to talk to us through such rights irrespective of our status. Our editor and producer, Ronald Lomora, engaged Odeke Moses from the Directorate of Citizenship and Immigration Control Department. The officer started by defining who a refugee is. A refugee is a person who, owing to a well-founded fear of persecution for reasons of race, sex, religion, nationality, or membership of a particular social group or political opinion. And that person is outside the country of his or her nationality and is also unable or owing to that fear, is unwilling to return or avail himself or herself for the protection of that country. Mm. So a person who qualifies to be a refugee must have left his country of habitual residence. What is actually the difference between an asylum seeker and a refugee? Uh, first of all, uh, an asylum seeker has left his country of habitual residence prior to being recognized as a refugee or being granted refugee status. One is actually an asylum seeker. Uganda recognizes uh, refugees in two ways. One is called the prima facie basis, where there is an influx of refugees into the country. The minister declares people from that particular country to be granted refugee status under prima facie basis. However, there can be individuals, say, uh, for, from Congo or Nigeria who are being persecuted, basing on the other uh, five or six uh, 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 tenets that I mentioned earlier of race, sex, religion, or nationality. One can feel unsafe within one country, one's country, then he decides to come to Uganda. Such people will come here as asylum seekers, and then you undergo a refugee eligibility com uh, committee test, and you are granted refugee status. If the committee deems you fit to be recognized as a refugee. And uh, what do you think are some of the application processes? What are the offices you should go to? The law stipulates that once you find yourself in the frontiers of Uganda, you reach an officer, let's say a police officer of a rank of AIP and above, an immigration officer, or a DSO or RDC, an officer of a, 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 a reputable ranking, or you can get an officer working in the office of the Prime Minister, or even officers of UNHCR. So these people will help you log in your application through OPM, and now you will undergo what they call refugee status determination. This refugee status determination is determined by Refugee Eligibility Committee, which sits to look into your application. And they will test all your uh, claims against the definition I gave. The committee will determine. And then on top of that, 
they will have what they call information of ref a country of origin. So if we know that currently South Sudan is at war, it does not need rocket science for us mm. to identify that this is a life-threatening situation. Mm. So therefore, uh, that's why uh, from 2016, all the refugees in South Sudan have been entering here based on prima facie basis, which recognizes them as refugee without necessarily undergoing what we call REC, Refugee Eligibility Committee. By law, you have up to 90 days to avail yourself to any of the offices I have outlined above. And uh, if you do not do that, then you become uh, just an asylum seeker without refugee status. So this asylum seeker without refugee status is an illegal migrant, according to the laws of Uganda. So you can actually be uh, prosecuted for being in the country illegally. So whoever has not um, come into the country as a refugee must be having other facilities issued by the Ministry of Internal Affairs and the Directorate of Citizenship and Immigration Control. Away from that, Uganda, which has more refugee settlement areas, are faced with underage pregnancies. In fact, such pregnancies have become the talk of the town. National media is broadcasting such news almost every day. Refugees, especially leaders living in north of Uganda, are bewildered. More and more underage refugee school-going girls are testing positive to pregnancies in big numbers. All over communities of refugees and their hosts, the situation is described as overwhelming. Housing nearly 70,000 individuals, according to United Nations High Commission for Refugees, in Vepi refugee camp of majorly South Sudanese people is not isolated. Our reporter Arike Emmanuel lives here. He's a refugee himself. He has witnessed the rising numbers of underage pregnancies, problem that has overshadowed coronavirus pandemic itself, he reports. Seemingly in South, Dara Sebit says the problem his community is faced with is real and that it needs concerted efforts by all the stakeholders in order to stop it. More so, he wants parents and guidance to protect their girl children. Within a few statements he makes, as he tells me about his take on the harrowing experience, he is unable to refrain from blaming parents and guidance for being responsible of rising teenage pregnancies. He believes parents, guidance, and the government plus refugee program implementing partners have not given sufficient information to help teenage girls from getting unwanted pregnancies, especially during this situation of lockdown brought about by coronavirus pandemic. Teenage pregnancy has been uh, rampant uh, uh, during the corona uh, season around um, 17 uh, that we have really uh, known in within uh, Zone 1. Sebit is elected youth secretary for Zone 1 in VPE refugee camp. He believes there are so many cases that go unrecorded. Sebit says such dramatic number of cases provide a general picture of magnitude of the problem. Teenage pregnancies are not just problem of VPE refugee camp. 
It is a problem to all other camps along South Sudan-Uganda border area. Refugee hosting communities are not different either. Head teacher of one local primary school, serving children from both neighboring communities of refugees and hosts, is worried about the future of teenage pregnant children. After teaching for more than two decades, Benyis Samuel is overwhelmed. Girls being pregnanted, and these are girls who are under, under the age, and not properly matured for marriage, but they are below uh, the, the, the required standards. And in fact, it was during this COVID-19 that the children got pregnancies. It is such reasons that Sebit, as well as other elders in Invepi refugee camp, have taken matters into their own hands to shave their community from being overtaken by the problem that the ants pet. Among problems they want to avoid include forced marriages, child abuse, poverty, among others. In Vepi community, just like entire north of Uganda, is embroiled in absolute poverty. Many parents from both refugees and host communities see their girl children as source of wealth. Many elders believe parents and guidance may in some ways be responsible in the teenage pregnancies that are on the rise. In this way, children, especially teenage girls here, are married off as young as 13 years old. This is way below the government acceptable 18 years limit. And Samuel is worried that such culture, the culture he has fought against for long, is thriving under the guise of coronavirus pandemic. Girls being pregnant, uh, and these are girls who Echoing the outcry of the rest in his community, Samuel believes if the government found a way to keep children busy, especially with schooling, might help avert such unwanted pregnancies among teenage girls. Thank you, Arike. Now, as humanitarian assistance decrease, refugees and asylum seekers are encouraged to initiate their own livelihoods. In this episode of South Sudanese Refugees Living in Uganda, we explore activities they are starting in order to survive. Many have reached some level of self-reliance. The government, as well as agencies implementing refugee programs, offers basic support to motivated individuals, as well as groups of refugees, to start income-generating activities in the fields of agriculture and animal husbandry, plus other commercial activities. Even though he faced enormous challenges, William is not deterred at all. While speaking to our reporter at Impamela, William started by explaining the challenges he has to confront in order to remain on course of his goal. I had to ask the nationals, so the nationals get me enough land, uh, 12 acres. So out of the 12 acres, I have planted two acres with the thick trees. Uh, the thick trees have grown beyond the, the roof level. I think after a year or two, they can be harvested. What motivated you? Oh, well, when we came, I saw there you see a continuous destruction of trees, especially when people were struggling to get trees for fuel, firewood. 
uh, others were like the nationals, they failed them and the lumbering, getting timber out of them. So when I saw trees were getting a little bit uh, problem, I thought it was necessary because we had always been encouraged by the NGOs and the government itself that if we could plant trees, uh, then I, I saw it that it was necessary for me to join that team of planting trees because I, for one, I know uh, on one way or another I contributed in destroying trees because I need firewood, I need construction material. Uh, all those kind of things I get from the trees. Now, why can't I also put the trees down if there are trees? How many of these trees did you plant? I think my trees now should be closing to 3,000. 3,000 pieces. Uh, even that, 20, that 12 acres are, put it, are planted what we call live fence. Soon you will see that place all with the trees around it because I wanted to make a live fence out of those sticks. Someone may, may ask, probably maybe even a refugee settling there can easily say, one time I'm going to go back home and trees take long to grow. So didn't you think about one time leaving this place and uh, your trees left unattended too? Well, the land that is given to me, uh, it is on an agreement term for 10 years. So 10 years, I've now lived for four years. I'm remaining with the six years, and I do not know when I'm going back, but of course my prayer is that my country also becomes good, I go back. But all that one cannot stop me from doing any development in Uganda. To me, I look at it as leaving legacy behind, because those trees one time, in a long time, it will be remembered that some refugee lived here and his name was so and so, and he planted these trees. So I, I, I have nothing to worry when I am doing my development. What was at the back of your mind? What was your intention? Was it to have it as a conservation? Or you thought it is for commercial? I am a businessman. And whatever I do is geared towards benefit of uh, in proceeds of money. I know a thick tree is a very durable tree and it is a very expensive tree and people like it so much and it grows very fast, especially those who are doing roofing in the grass touch houses. They are very good and uh, they, they really like, they like them. So first thing was that if they grow and I'm here, I'll get money out of them. And the way I'm looking at it, two years from now, if I'm still here, I'm going to harvest. So my first aim was money. But there are also other trees that I have planted. Uh, these trees are meant for firewood. Those also have planted them so that they can assist my family and whoever wants to use firewood. And I'm encouraging everybody, at least a family should have at least six trees in the compound. Where did you get the seedlings from? Seedlings I got from uh, some organizations, but uh, they also have their own challenges. Most of the trees I buy them. Each one was costing me 500 selling compound. The, the kind of challenges you I really do not have enough money for buying the seedlings. Otherwise, I would have planted now six acres now. Because my intention is to plant all that land. But uh, the challenge is the expensiveness of the seedlings. And uh, like when I rely on NGOs only, the challenge with the NGOs, they don't bring the seedlings in time. They normally bring them in September, and September is already dry season. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you. Have you ever, even for once, thought that music could be your 
only solace and perhaps the best mode of communication, one refugee composer and pop singer believes so, especially for already troubled population of refugees who fled South Sudan during recent brutal fighting of various armed forces there. Among such refugees now living in appalling conditions in camps in the northern Uganda is popular lonely boy who is sensitizing his rigid community on dangers of coronavirus pandemic. The United Nations High Commission for Refugees, or UNHCR, recognized his work. Our reporter, Bakit Hafiz, paid the youngster a visit. Bakit enjoyed every moment he spent with the jovial refugee celebrity. Take a listen. I took a 30 minutes dusty and bumpy ride on motorcycle taxi known as Boda Boda to get to BDBD refugee camp. With my entire body covered in dust, I finally arrived just in time as per my appointment with Lonely Boy. As I get down from the motorcycle, the 26-year-old musician welcomes me and quickly sends his wife to get me a seat. You're welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you. How is there? We are just here, just this pandemic. Okay. But anyway, we are just pushing with life like that. Okay. Mm, how is that side? He's a father of one, a boy child, and he's a family man, which is a rare thing to come by among celebrities. Thank you. Oh, is this your son? Yeah, that is my son, yeah. He's called Wani. He's this time four years. Quite interesting. I see. He's <laughs> yeah, ready for me. And I know this is going to be a good chat. His real name is Dennis Lomoding. He goes by his stage name a lot though. And his stage is his refugee camp. He's refugee himself, living in Uganda's largest refugee camp, BDPD, located in the north of Uganda. He is one of more than 230,000 refugees who call BDBD refugee camp home. He wishes to sensitize his fellow refugees as well as the host communities surrounding the camp using his lyrics. He argues that this is the best way to change rigid community such his and that the method is working effectively. Well, uh, why I came up with this song, Coronavirus, um, it is to alert my people and also make them aware on this pandemic. You know, since outbreak of coronavirus from China, entering European countries, I felt I should create that awareness to my people. Looking at their situation, you know, not practicing hand washing, staying in crowded places, um, not wearing face masks, not maintaining social distance, eating in a group, uh, handshaking was the order of the day, uh, social gatherings, especially in funerals, you know, such kind of things. And, you know, also looking at, you know, good facilities for them, it is really very hard. Looking at that generally, should the coronavirus enters the camp, many people would lose their lives. Majority of the people here arrived during the height of South Sudan conflict that has killed more than 400,000 and displaced a couple of millions, according to the new report by the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. The pop singer arrived here in 2016 at the height of South Sudan civil war. 
Instead of grieving, he turned his fear and tears into composing songs. Lonely Boy has done a couple of other educative songs too. Two years ago, the United Nations Commission for Refugees noticed him, and he quickly rose to become ambassador after winning a UNHCR-funded BDBD Has Got Talent competition musical battle organized for refugee youngsters. Since then, he has become ambassador, representing the thoughts of his fellow refugees, and at times offering hope to those whose hope is totally lost. I spoke to few people who enjoy his music, and clearly you get a sense of the fact that this youngster is popular among his fellow refugees as well as the surrounding host communities. And other song about uh, early marriage really uh, give advice to our children to uh, know the disadvantages of early marriage. I am a Denoscovia. It is through the coronavirus song that we had to get serious that coronavirus kills. We also get to know that we need to constantly wash our hands, avoid handshaking, avoid crowded places, and follow others' SOPs. The song My Country has also made us understand that we are refugees as a result of conflict, so we have to stay as one for peace. My name is Kenji Shamba Chaplain. Lonnie Boy music has inspired the entire refugees in Uganda, especially his song about COVID-19 disease has sensitized refugees to follow COVID-19 preventing measures. His songs are all inspirational to the people and has made our people to change their life. The youngster argues that through his songs, he's able to convey rather sensitive and strong messages that he wouldn't otherwise, and more so, he has creatively circumvented rigid cultures in driving a point home. When he takes the microphone, his fans are thrown into admiration. Their worries and hardships are forgotten for a moment. The youngster says seeing hurting people laugh, dance and sing along for a moment gives him inspiration to keep composing more and more songs for his community. For the moment, he only wants to do songs that give courage to already discouraged and frustrated community, especially over 1.2 million South Sudanese who are living in camps in the neighboring Uganda. And personally, I enjoyed Turapta Junub Sudan, just one of his songs. This song is in Juba Arabic and it means the land, or literally translated the soil of South Sudan. I am Hafiz Bakit, reporting from BDBD refugee settlement in Uganda. <laughs> Many thanks from me, Jacqueline Adure, and my entire team spread all over refugee settlement areas in the northern Uganda. Thank you too for listening. Do join our weekly program next week. Same time, I leave you with our the drama covers on COVID-19. Take a listen. Layer after layer, a pearl is formed, glowing, luminous and shining. The pearl endures. For us, covering irritation with knowledge, awareness and kindness, it can turn into something beautiful. Our pal is gifted with people from diverse cultures blending together. People who value and celebrate one another on every possible occasion. With COVID-19, 
and irritation of global dimensions. We are constantly recreating our path. We learn to smile with the masks on. We understand that with the right precautions, we can keep most people safe from being infected and that those infected need our empathy. And we've come to realize by staying safe with social distancing and wearing masks, we suddenly get to value our social relations that some had taken for granted even more. Welcome to the first episode of The Pearl, a weekly radio drama based on sharing information and guidance on COVID-19. Dive into the world of The Pearl. <coughs> Auntie, you've scared me. Everyone in the house, put on your masks. John is here. Good afternoon, madam. There is nothing good this afternoon. Why do you want to kill us? Who are you? My name is Dr. Isaiah. I am one of the doctors who treated your daughter. Joanne and I have accompanied her home. Why have you brought her here? Is this not her home? Yes, it is. But why do you want her to infect the family members? I am healed, auntie. Who says so? Eh? Who decides on such matters? No, I can't believe that. Take away your corona from here. After all, you are old enough to live on your own. Old enough? Yes, I'm 18. <laughs> but are you chasing me from home? I'm not chasing you. But just to remind you, at age 18 in Uganda, you are now an adult and can live by yourself. Please, madam, don't take that direction. Ah. Like Joan has said, she has totally recovered from the disease. Eh, good for her. She might have recovered. But what about us? You want to convince me to believe that she's clean of the disease. How can you tell? Eh? She looks the same as when she left for hospital. Maybe her cheeks are a bit more rosy, but she still looks weak. By the time we discharge a patient from the hospital, we would have confirmed that she has recovered. She has not spread the virus. Let me sit here. I'm feeling tired. Ah, look at her. Eh? Does she look like she recovered? I really don't want to expose the family to this infection. Madam, ah. Joanne was tested and confirmed negative before being discharged. She is not infectious. She is of course still tired because it is a serious disease. But she cannot spread it anymore. You say so, but, uh, but there are so many lives. And how should I know? There is no need to worry. We have tests and we have stuck to the protocol. She has been in treatment and quarantine. For now, I just request you to support Joan, especially emotionally, because many people in the community stigmatize corona survivors. Okay, if you say so, we shall try. Thank you. Um, I have to leave now. Thank you, doctor. You're welcome, Joan. If you don't feel well, please come to the hospital. Okay, I will. Bye, doctor. Bye. Joan, are you sure that you got cured from corona? I am well, auntie. Ah, I don't want to take a risk. We have to protect ourselves. I am feeling thirsty. May I have a glass of water, please? Ha. Now, which glass will you use? Aunt Maggie, what question is that? Hey, it seems you are taking this corona disease too light. I don't want you to infect any of us. But the doctor said I'm no longer infectious. I don't want to take any chances. Uh, let me go and buy for you bottled water so that we can dispose of the bottle to avoid transmitting the disease through the cup you will use. Hmm? Uh, before I can go to buy the water, uh, please carry your bag to the boys' quarter. You will live there and if you need anything, give me a call and I bring it there. But auntie, I would prefer to just go back to my old life. 
stay in my old room. Prevention is better than cure. You are lucky you made it out of the hospital. How sure can I be that if infected some of us, we shall survive? Auntie, this is unfair. You had the doctor. Eh, get up and I sanitize this chair so that no one gets COVID from it. Eh, Joan, I finally have time to drop by. It's been a month since you were out of the hospital. I am sorry it took me that long. But you know how busy my work can get. How have you been, dear friend? Eh! What is wrong? You've lost so much weight. Are you still sick? Oh, no one can explain what I've gone through this one month since I was discharged. Ah! Eh! Look at you. If I didn't know better, I would think you're still sick. You're as thin as a needle and you have purple rings under your eyes. Are you sure you're cured? What could that be? I saw you on the day you were discharged. You were looking far much better than this. My friend, mm -hmm. ever since I contracted COVID, I've never remained the same. In the hospital, I live with the agony of having a tube in my mouth. Mm. Coffee was hard like a stone on my chest. The migraine headache and the terrifying dreams. I was seeing myself dying, but I prayed and hoped that I would live a life out of the hospital. But now I sometimes wish I would have died. Don't talk like that. You're my friend, Hope. I feel like taking away my life. This is serious. I never heard you talk like this. What is exactly the problem? Do you have pain? It's my family. Can you imagine that no one ever enters this house and that I'm not allowed anywhere near the main house because they think I'll infect the family members with corona? What? No visitor is allowed to come here. Eee! You mean no one ever comes to see you? Not at all. Spend time with you? They treat you like an outcast? This is not acceptable. Just the other day, our cousin came around and she was prevented from coming to see me. Is it this bad? Your own family? My friend, I am alone in this world with my God. <sighs> the door is open. You! Do you want to kill yourself? Huh? <laughs> Don't you know that Joan has corona? <laughs> Joan, how can you be so irresponsible and let your friend visit you when you know she can die from contact with you? <sighs> but auntie... I've told you and the doctors told Aunt Maggie, you. Joanne is healed. She's not infectious. Hope, I tell you once and for all, <laughs> if you start coughing, sneezing, and struggling for breath, then you remember that I had warned you. Maggie, eh? you are ridiculous. Hey. If this happens to me, then definitely not from Joanne. She might be the safest person to hang out with in the all of Uganda because she has been tested negative and she has been social distanced by everyone. I am more likely to get the infection from you, as a matter of fact. Joan is totally healed. And what you do is to stigmatize her. You should stop it. Get the corona from me? Yes. How do you dare? I advise you to leave this place before the virus <sighs> jumps into your soft parts. See, you are not even putting on your mask. <laughs> anyway, I have brought for you food for lunch. Good day. Is this how food is served for you? Are there no plates in your home? Hope, you've seen what I go through with your own eyes. <gasps> My family serves me food in caveras and they're thrown away immediately <gasps> after they pick them from here <gasps> so that no one ever gets in contact with them. No, 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 no. no. Why should someone be tortured like this? Do you see any reason for me to live on like this? Of course. How can I even do anything useful when no one wants to associate with me? Your family is doing this out of fear and ignorance. I will talk to Musei Willie, the counselor, to talk to the family so that they can know the truth and treat you well. 
You have to forgive them. It is fear and ignorance that makes them behave this way. I wish something could just strike me down. Ah, death is not the solution to this. People need to get the right information so that they can treat corona survivors well. Next time I come, I will bring Mzee Willie the counselor with me. What makes you think anyways that auntie will listen to Mzee Willie? Even Dr. Isaiah did not convince her. We will see. Meanwhile, keep your faith and remember that Mzee Willie is regarded very highly in our community. He was the one who fought to have both the school and the health center built in our neighborhood. So his words carry a lot of weight. Thank you, my friend. Let's hope for the best. Yes. Thank you, Muzei Willie, for coming. This is my dear friend Joan and her family. I kindly ask you to sit down with them and take everything through. <laughs> I'm happy that you gave me an opportunity to help. <laughs> ah, Councillor William. This season has been a very tough one for everyone in this family. I can't imagine what you have been going through, but this too will pass. How? Yeah? Life just turned around to the dark side the day Joan tested positive of COVID-19. Since then, no light has shone in this family. Uh, there is hope for this family. This is why I would like to discuss with you and your family and get a way forward on how we can cope with the aftermath of this disease which has affected one of your family members. I'm grateful for your kind heart. We have been here in great fear, not knowing what to do next. So is it okay with you if Joan joins us in this meeting? Ah, is it not risky for both of us? Uh, both of us are putting on masks and social distancing. She can also come with her mask. On and sit at a distance. But why do you need her in this meeting? I thought you said this meeting is to get aware of how we can cope as a family. Ah, Not related is, to uh, Joan. The reason your family is suffering is because Joan got infected with COVID-19. So when dealing with the problem, we cannot leave her out. Ah! Uh, one thing that you should know is that when one undergoes a traumatic event like what Joan has gone through, she sometimes relieves the event and she needs counseling. What do you mean by her relieving the event? I'm talking about what the psychologists call post-traumatic stress disorder. This is a situation where someone remembers the bad thing that happened to her and this negatively affects her emotionally. So, when that happens, do we have to take her back to the hospital for treatment? The major treatment that is needed is emotional support. In a family setting like this, the family should be very close to her for her proper healing. But, counselor, by being close to her, don't you think the whole family will be infected? No, Joan is cured and she's not infectious. But have you seen her? It seems she has even lost 10 kilograms in a month. Hey, how have you been looking after her? We take very good care of her. She's always in her room there. We bring her food whenever the rest of the family members are eating. If she needs soap or anything, we try to get it for her. We treat her good, trust me. So at what time does she interact with the family? Interact? Yes. What do you mean? We are of course taking precautions. She has to keep in her room. For how long do you want this to be like this? Until she's no longer a threat to the family. But do you know that this is a torture to the girl? She could suffer from depression because of feeling neglected. Eh. Dr. Isaiah said Joan is not infectious. You have to let her interact with the family. By doing this, you offer her emotional support, which is the best for her healing process. So you think we should give it a try? Please call Joan to come and join us. Joan, carry the chair in your room and come out here. Maggie, Joan will be happy to join the family again. My only fear is the family getting that disease. Relax, all will be well. Hi. What is the problem? Ah, uh, look at her. She's thin like a skeleton. If the world is closed from you like a criminal in prison, how would you feel? What crime did I commit to deserve this? Joanne, don't make me feel guilty. It is my duty to protect the family. But doing so, I think I forgot that care is not just delivering food. 
care is also caring for someone else's soul. You protected everyone by neglecting me. Is that human? Uh, it's okay, Joan. Your auntie has understood what you are going through. Anyway, Joan, look, uh, um, I'm sorry, Joan. I'll treat you better. Thank you, auntie. Joan, be strong. All will be well. I have asked God to take away my life, but I wonder why he does not listen to my prayers. Joan, I'm very sorry. I didn't know the negative consequence of what I was doing. Please forgive me. So, starting today, you'll go back to the main house. Really? Joan, come over here. Hey, William, yes? just to make sure one last time, she's not infectious anymore, right? As far as I know, she's probably the safest person to be around with. From today, you should start living a free life in our home with the rest of the family, just like before. Thanks a lot, auntie. <laughs> Joan, give me the number of breasts your friend so I can call her to come and see you. She came here and I chased her. You even chased Grace? I thought all my friends had neglected me. Ah, ah, let us not go to that direction. Thank you so much, Musei uh, William. You are welcome. <laughs> now, Joan, help me prepare lunch for our guests and the family. Okay, Auntie, I'll even happily wash the dishes or anything. <laughs> Just let me be with everyone again. Mm. And Hope, yes. thanks for arranging this. You are the best friend ever. I am so happy everything is resolved. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pal. Everyone can stop the spread of COVID-19 by knowing the facts and sharing them with friends and family. In episode one, we have learned that the survivors of COVID-19 should be treated with respect and dignity. Stigmatization can be as painful and life-endangering as the disease itself. Don't forget to join us next week for yet another episode of The Path. In case you missed parts of this episode or would like to listen to the dramas once again, please dial Airtel 161. You can also participate in our weekly WhatsApp quiz in regards to COVID-19. Simply write hi and send to 0759-895-135. The PAL is produced by Media Incorporation and Transition, MICT, in collaboration with this radio station a partner of the East Africa Radio Service, EARS. For more information, visit www.ears.ug.